it's the Rotten Retro Time Machine! Whatever, mate. Welcome back to the Rotten Retro Time Machine. I've been rehearsing that all week. Well done. And you I, nailed that. You nailed it. And while I'm on a roll, I want to remem- uh, remember, I've blown it already, Anna. I want to remind everyone that this podcast is in support of the uh, Nomad Shelter in Lincoln. Yes. And if you want to donate to that, uh, you can find a link in the many bios we've got on social media. And the purpose of doing a uh, podcast for a homeless shelter is none of us are fit enough to run a marathon. So uh, <laughs> we thought Combined this would be or some... individually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't me chuckling. That was me gasping for breath. So. <laughs> So interesting year this year, 1977. Uh, just um, just a brief look at, at what's gone on in 1977, uh, and you think, well, we could talk for hours on this, but we've just had some recent feedback that Stu yeah. wants to talk about. I do, um, I do. We've had listener feedback, all positive, all good, but the feedback was always important. That that, that <laughs> yeah. <they're, laughs> Right, is that um, an hour that we're coming in at per episode at the minute? An hour is a big ask, which is also the possible title of Mark Sec Tape. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the fact, the other feedback then was that shorter and more often would be better. Possible title of Gary's Sex Tape. Um, <laughs> so, so from now on, we're not going to be an hour every two weeks. We're going to be uh, half an hour every week. Possible title of my sex tape. Um, <laughs> Just so, out of interest, this this feedback. <laughs> yes. How um, how many minutes uh, commute does this person have? <laughs> well, he said he said he said he, he goes back up to the northeast to see his family, and the only time he can get to listen to a full episode in full without pausing it, coming back to it, is when he's on these long drives. So that was also feedback from a couple of people that they love it, but an hour seems too long in one go. It would be better to have half an hour every week rather than one hour every two weeks. So we are nothing but uh, flexible bees, are we? Well, so, we've got 27 minutes left then. I was going to say, I've been babbling <laughs> off for 20 minutes. <laughs> we better crack on. Yeah, yeah. Having researched 1977 thoroughly, I have to say it was a pretty pretty bleak year if you look at it in one direction. Really? <laughs> Undertakers went on strike in London, and 800 bodies piled up. <laughs> wow. Where? Where did they pile up? Well, that's what I was, I was going to ask you two, because you're a little bit older than me, if you had recole- recollections of uh, any corpses in your front room. Oh, what, they piled up in London? Or, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe in Big Ben. I mean, that's quite tall, isn't it? They could have got one on top of the... <laughs> one on top of the other? I don't know. Still yeah. St Paul's Cathedral. Maybe all the statues around London are just like the dead people, and they've just put concrete around them. That's a lot. That's a lot of gorns, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you might be mentioning some later. <laughs> well, yeah, you never know. Yes. Filling carriages on the tube. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, we'll probably, them. We probably don't want to get too into this, but the Yorkshire Ripper was very busy that year. Mm. It was a good. Uh, Good year for films, so I'm sure everyone's going to talk about Star Wars, uh, but also Saturday Night Fever. Oh, 
Saturday night. And smoky, smoky and the Bandit. Super. Is it? I was going to tell you a story. This is idiot, and I didn't realise he's an idiot. Well, I did realise he's an idiot, but didn't realise how much of an idiot he was. And that whenever anyone referred to Smokey and the Bandit, he would say, "We got ourselves a convoy." <laughs> <laughs> and I'd never had the heart to tell him that actually that. The film is Convoy. Smoking the Bandit is completely <laughs> Brilliant. Same. Jackie Gleason in that film is just superb, isn't he? Sheriff Buford T. Justice. Yeah. Just fantastic. And, and when he says, Bandit, I am your father. I remember that. As, it was Luke, get me a Diablo sandwich. <laughs> and a Dr. Pepper. But surely we can't we can't uh, we can't go past Saturday Night Fever for not only the film but the soundtrack. It's one of the films that the soundtrack is more famous than the film. Yeah, I bet you could name probably off the top of your head probably name three quarters of that album without even thinking about it. Could you yeah. could you tell us what the plot to the film was? <laughs> no. There you go. <laughs> I was just about to I was just about to do a fake Italian Italian accent and say John. Travolta's character's name, and then thought, well, I don't know what that is. Well, I've done some research, right? See if any of this rings a bell, because when I was reading it, I was going, really? Does it? John Travolta played a character called Tony Monero. Hey, Tony! Hey, Tony! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He doesn't have much going for him uh, weekdays, but he lives at home with his mum and dad and works in a paint store in Brooklyn, but at the weekends, he and his friends go to the local disco, and he's the king of the disco, and basically, when a big dance competition is announced, he wrangles the beautiful and talented Stephanie Karen, uh, and she is his partner, and two train for the big night before they fall in love together. The end. That's a bit yeah, like how you and Gary met, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think now you've, now you've said the plot, I can honestly say I've never watched the film. Obviously, I've listened to the soundtrack any number of times, but the film has just passed me by completely. I would say I'd watched it at least twice, and it still—I still couldn't tell you what it was because the yeah. songs are so good. Yeah. Forty million copies that album sold. It's the second—it's the second best-selling album from a film of all time, soundtrack of all time. Oh, don't leave us hanging. Oh, the body. Yeah, girl. what's number three? <laughs> 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 the bodyguard. Yeah. There you Is go. It? Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's only got one song. Yes, and it's a long one. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what all the football fans sing at Whitney Houston, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, yeah, she's got more really? than one song. <clears throat> how, how deep is your love? Was uh, yeah. that was, You had a nice moment with one of our joint friends there, didn't you, Mark, driving back from Sheffield on a cold night? When the BGs came on, <laughs> and we both singing away. We must never talk of this moment. <laughs> I can't even remember it, thankfully. Oh, brilliant! It's... TV in 1977, the 1977 Christmas show, the Mike Yarwood Christmas special, pulled in 21.4 million viewers. Wow! It was the best watched program of 1977. Also starring Paul McCartney. Singing Mull of Kintyre with Wings. Uh, and I'm going to say it, Mike Yarwood blacked up to play Sammy Davis Jr. 
But it's funny because one of the things I was going to mention was the um, one of the highest uh, ever TV, UK TV audiences, um, as 28 million in the same year. The Morecambe and Wise Christmas show. Brilliant. Which was the one where they had uh, Michael Aspel and Peter Woods and Eddie Waring and Barry Norman and whatever singing uh, There's Nothing Like a Dane. Oh, superb. Um, um, which obviously is one of the legendary bits of UK Was it the television. same year but different Christmases? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. According, according to um, my sources... 1977 um, Morecambe and Wise Christmas special had 28 million um, wow. viewers. I was thinking of poor Mike Yarwood when, you know, the producers are going, come on, Yarwood, this is your year. <coughs> <laughs> We've got McCartney. He's bringing Linda. You're six, you're six million viewers short. I tell you what, do Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> That'll get him. That'll bring him in. God, imagine getting 21.4 million viewers and still not being the best one. Mm. Yeah. That, that's like in, in sports versions, that's like that German guy who always came second to Daley Thompson, isn't it? it he, is, was, he was he was the... brilliant. He was absolutely Jürgen. Uh, Jürgen, you know, yeah. Jürgen Klinsmann. Ab- Jürgen Klinsmann. He was absolutely brilliant. And any other era would have been Olympic champion, world champion, but no. Well, there's clearly a reason why they repeat Morecambe and Wise and not Mikey Harwood. I think we've unearthed that tonight. I think we found that. Well, that and the fact that every impression Mike Harwood did, he sounded the same. Yeah. It was, like, uh, it was Les Dennis. mental for Les Dennis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, um, I mean, my, my own shambolic contribution to this is that Elvis died in 1977. Gone! And there were a lot of impersonations and continue to be impersonators of Elvis. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just, um, because Star Wars obviously became the global hit of 1977 in, in the movie theatres, I thought, I wonder if there's anyone who impersonates Star Wars characters. And the most ex- outstanding um Star Wars character impersonator is a woman from America who can be found on YouTube who can fart like Chewbacca talks. <laughs> <laughs> so you can share this on the Facebook. But this this is what this is what the internet has brought us. Like, how did you even find that? Apart from typing in farts like Chewbacca sounds. <laughs> what did, I, what? I just put in Star Wars impersonations, and then just let it, That's let it, you know, let the internet do its worst. <laughs> yeah, and, and then never mind, that. never mind. Twenty-one million from Mike Yarwood. I think this is in the uh, the <laughs> upper hundreds <laughs> <laughs> millions of the viewing figures. <laughs> anyway, Google it, but not bo- not from a work computer is. My advice to you. <laughs> Have you still got your Star Wars toys in their boxes still, Mark? Your pension, as you refer to it. No, I've, I lost them. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. I didn't have that many anyway, but, um, yeah, whatever. I'm obviously just got sick of them. Well, you were always giving it the big one. 
Oh, that's them in boxers. That's my pension, that is. Yeah. You, watch, you watch 40 years' time. I know. Well, eBay didn't exist back then. It's that kind of thing. It's like when you realise, actually, everyone's done the same, and you could sell them for, like, this one's worth four quid. I was like, well, I paid six quid for it in the first place. <laughs> Brilliant. I had a Millennium Falcon, and I had a snow speeder and a scout walker and figures. And because I was quite a, you know, I was quite nice as I was growing up, I gave them to other children who I thought would appreciate them um, like an idiot because, uh, yeah, it they could have been my pension. Yeah. <clears throat> if, if I could, you know, we're talking about, you know, we've got a time machine. What would we change if we could go back in time and change it? That would be one thing. I wouldn't give my toys away to ungrateful because you, you could have retired on twelve pounds. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Falcon for twelve quid. You're having a laugh. <laughs> Somebody get on eBay. <laughs> Shatter in this. In the box. In the, you know, in its box yeah. still. Some people. This is the amazing world of eBay, though. Some people would just pay for the box. Oh yeah, yeah, they will because they'll have the Millennium Falcon. And they'll, you know, they'll put it in the box and then sell it as a box to Millennium Falcon, and it'll you go, fetch. You, you're right to give away the toys. Wrong to throw away the boxes. Box, yeah. There's a lesson learned there. It is. Um, actually, uh, you talk about Star Wars and things space related. Um, 1977 was an a bit of an odd year for weird things happening on telly. Um, this is something I had heard of. Um, and in, I think it was November in 1977, the, the, the early evening news signal in the southern TV region of the UK was hijacked. And uh, suddenly a voice started um, coming out of everyone's telly saying... The signal of the floaters. Yeah. He said... <laughs> <laughs> That he was Vrilon of the Ashtar Galactic Command. And um, he said things like, you would know us as the moving stars in the sky. Um, and he went on to reprimand the human race for being so violent to each other. And if, they weren't, if we weren't careful and laid down our weapons, we wouldn't make the next step in evolution. So th- th- um, just to clarify, this is in America. No, no, no. This is in the UK. This what? is the southern TV region of the UK. So back in the old days where it was easy to tell when you were on holiday in a different part yes. of the country because the TV region was different. And it was um, weird. On, on, I, on ITV. Um, we're in Norfolk. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, Nor- Norfolk has its own little quirk, which I'll tell you about. But um, in the southern, the southern TV region, this is, this is where it happened. And nobody ever found out who did it. And it went on for about six minutes um, and it didn't get interrupted or anything. And, uh, and to this day, it remains a mystery. Why didn't they interrupt it? Or did some did producers think this is brilliant? <laughs> Probably. This is more interesting than news because it's all about people getting murdered. Um, or it's the Queen on another trip this year, which seems to be what uh, most of the news was about. So. Um, yeah, it didn't. It didn't get interrupted, and it just it was just broadcast. So, 
there we go. Was it recorded? Yeah, um, you could, yeah, because it, I was going to say it's something we could put on. Right, um, There are YouTube clips of it, so. She'll do it, hang on, making a note of that. <clears throat> but also, in 1977, Anglia TV um, broadcast, uh, I think it was, in, it was actually in June, um, a documentary called Alternative 3. Right. Which, yeah, exactly. It started out as a, a documentary about a, the brain drain of all the scientists from the UK going to other countries to you know, continue their research there for, for whatever reason. And then as the TV, the guy, the people in the program were investigating, they came across people, the scientists, not just going to other countries, but disappearing and turning up dead. Um, and and so they started investigating this, which led them to the death of one in particular, who had delivered a, a video cassette to someone in the TV station. This is just an episode of The Avengers. No, listen, listen, <laughs> this is amazing. Patrick so, McNee. They so sent they found... Patrick McNee out there. <laughs> Never peel. And uh, and so they they watched this tape, which needed to be decoded. Um, their various um, investigations led them to an astronaut called Bob Grodin, who said that he'd stumbled across a moon base whilst he was on one of his moonwalks as on one of the Apollo missions. Um, so they eventually managed to get this this tape decoded, and. Uh, and what they found was this alternative three, which was the name of the, the documentary, was actually the third alternative to how we were going to cope with the pollution and climate change. So we were either going to create a world where the, the population was controlled and reduced. We were going to live underground or we were going to find another planet to live on, which was Mars. And the tape that was decoded showed a U US Russian spacecraft landing on Mars in 1962. And then at the end of the documentary, the credits rolled and everybody who was in it was listed as an actor playing a particular role. And so it was clear it wasn't actually a documentary in the end. It was a piece of fiction that was supposed to have been broadcast on April the 1st. Charles Hawtrey, astronaut. <laughs> astronaut 1, Kenneth Williams. But because, <laughs> astronaut 2. But because space, they could... Space Station <laughs> Control, Hattie Jakes. <laughs> Get out of my spaceship. Um... The, uh, because they were supposed to be broadcast on April the 1st, but because of all the industrial action that was happening in that year, it didn't get broadcast until June. <laughs> and so it fooled everyone in a sort of war of the worlds kind of way. And so the, the switchboard at Anglia Television was just inundated with people. What the hell's happening? Are we going to Mars? Is the planet going to blow up? And they have to keep telling people, no, it was just a documentary. It's, it's some production mistake, that, isn't it? But bearing in mind that you can't get away with an April Fool's joke after midday. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, it's crass. 
Anything after midday is fairly crass. No, we're, we're going to give this one a good three or four months. <laughs> right. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you ever watch it, it's quite clear that then they're actors acting badly in a document, in a spoof documentary. Carry on, lad. What, what was Anglia TV's budget at that point? Had it all been blown on sale of the century? Well, yeah, yeah. Eight quid on a statue. You know, ooh. Tease made or whatever it was they used to. Uh... Wasn't wasn't Tales of the Unexpected made by Angler TV? Mm-hmm. What was, wasn't that? I seem to remember was, the night yeah. the night thing spinning around the, on the horse. Yeah. What a show. Yeah. But there you go. That's some weird TV stuff from 1977. Good stuff. No, no one was expecting that clearly. <laughs> no, no one wasn't that, sticking <laughs> on conversation TV. killer, wasn't it? That it was yeah. <laughs> sticking on TV. Uh, 1977 saw the uh, first episode, the first ever episode of Top Gear, would you believe? Wow. Was William Woolock presenting? It was, it was, it was a regional motoring programme uh, made at Pebble Mill Studios in Birmingham, and it was presented by Angela Rippon. Um, and well, then in the 19... Yeah, sorry, mate, go on. Obvious choice. And then in 1978, it was offered to BBC Two, and there it went. I didn't realise we had regional cars back then, but obviously we did. Well, obviously Birmingham was the <laughs> the the motor hub of the country, the British Leyland and British Detroit. Leyland, yeah, of course. Like, like the Detroit of uh, the UK. Yeah. And with all, all the happening music. The music the that turned City. out from Birmingham. UB40. Musical Youth, Duran Duran, Musical all the greats. Our very own Motown there. <laughs> Uh, it also uh, was the fear that Krypton Factor made its debut as well. Wow. It was that old. Yeah. Yeah. Gordon Burns it... didn't age at all throughout yeah. the whole time he was presenting it. Yeah, it's evident. Just, he stayed the same age. kept throughout. the same haircut, didn't he? A bit like so, yourself. Yeah. He, he kept yeah. the same hairdo. You can't say Gary's kept the same hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of... It's got... He has he has the permanent bubble perm, but it's at a different angle every time we see it. <laughs> it's actually it, it, it's the four hair hairdos, four <laughs> different hairdos at once. It's the hair version of Steve Bruce's nose, isn't it? <laughs> every every yeah. time you see Steve Bruce, you always wonder which way is. Oh, hang on, now we're going to see Steve Bruce's interview. Oh, which way is his nose going to be facing this way? Uh, I'm going to go for left to right. Oh, oh. It's, it's right to left. Oh. <laughs> The man who <laughs> smells round corners. Yeah, exactly. You've got uh, you've got Steve Bruce's nose hair. Oh, that's wrong. That's, that's even worse. Sorry, how oh. did we get up to this? Uh, yeah. um, oh, and the professional started. Well, there's the hair again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> the annoying thing was because back in the day, uh, Doyle with the curly hair. Yeah. Was the was the cool one? Yeah. Um. But in those days, my hair was straight. I thought, I thought you were going to say my hair was on loan to the gentle touch. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, Jill Jill Gascoigne had got it hired out for the next four years. <laughs> it was under contract. <laughs> hair from central casting yeah <laughs> uh, i'm actually i've actually got a credit in the gentle touch you said. 
<laughs> Possible title off. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Come on then, who died? Oh, well, you've already mentioned it. Elvis. Gold. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, I, I know it's a bit of a, you know, everyone talks about Elvis dying and, and his diet was related in, but it's always worth dragging up that the Elvis sandwich, isn't it? Do you, do you know what I was actually in the Elvis sandwich? I've, I, what, I've, no. I've read different things. What, what, was, what was it? Right, well, what? The, the one that I, I've read was yeah. that <laughs> the basic element of his daily food intake was a 30 centimetre long bread roll stuffed hollowed out and then stuffed with bacon peanut butter and strawberry jam each one had forty-two thousand calories in it you've just described subway (laughs) (laughs) but with jalapenos but apparently in his final days he ate two of those a day on top of little midnight snacks of hamburgers and deep fried white bread so Sorry, just go through the filling again. I was just, uh, I was fixated by the. Uh... You were just slathering, weren't you? You, were well, really well, you said you said the thirty centimetre bread roll. I was thinking that's a baguette. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a baguette stuffed with bacon, peanut butter, and strawberry jam, and it was so yeah. large and so filled, it was forty-two thousand calories per loaf. Yeah. Now, now I'm a fan of the peanut butter and jam phenomenon. Yeah. I have to yeah. say, but yeah. if somebody said do you want a rasher of bacon on that, I'd be like, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll have a bacon sandwich, <laughs> or I'll have the peanut butter and jam. And I, I'm not. I don't want them together. Not having that. And, and you know, he. I, I always. I, I had a little think about this. I was reading about him. And I thought, man. Every time you see him touring, it's always doing live gigs. It was always in America. Did he never do like a world tour? Or and and I read up, read it up, and he never he never did a tour outside of America, oh. ever. And I then I thought, well, it's got to be a reason why. So I read it up. Colonel Tom Parker. Very oh, he couldn't leave the country, could he? No. Born Andreas Cornelius Dries van Kuzik, um, was a Dutch-born American, uh, and he emigrated to the states when he was twenty. But he did it illegally, so he could never leave the country because then they wouldn't let, get, let him get back in. So basically, even though forty percent of Elvis's musical sales were outside of the states, he just That's said, crazy. "No, sorry, mate, sorry, mate, you're not touring." <laughs> that is insane, isn't it? Yeah. And apparently, that... how many people did it take to carry his coffin at his funeral? Uh... It's single figures. There's not. There's not a um, there's not a lot of room around the coffin, no matter how oh. fat you get. You, you still you know eight. you got you got eight, a, you, eight yeah, eight or, feet. or, 16, or maybe sixteen hands. If you if you're strategic, you could get a really stout fellow underneath, <laughs> and then with a flat head. Yeah, and then someone about my odd, height. Odd job. <laughs> get odd job. Balance it on his head, and then everyone else just shuffling behind. <laughs> that would be perfect. In fact, I, I might. That's how I might go out. <laughs> I I did read. Did did he? Was he? Is it true that he was found in the bathroom, sort of in the position as if he'd been sitting on the toilet, but he'd obviously died and fallen off it, but he was sort of still in a sitting position. Is well, that true? 
I saw a documentary years ago, and, and the, this this guy who was part of his sort of team, who was one of the people who found him, was talking about it. And the the way he worded it was, yes, it's true to say that Elvis met his maker while partaking of the commode. Right. So okay. he met his maker while partaking of the commode. Right. Okay. Is that this guy? It's not it. such a bad way to go, though. No. No. Because no. I mean, they do say that you know you 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 do sort of relax when you die and. Uh, things do ooze out so maybe it is the best place to be um, well, well how, how fat was he when he died because when oh, you know when he looked you. when he was losing it towards the end and you know they had a, all of these concerts towards the end of his career that were on tv and he looked really big in the jumpsuit by today's standards like it didn't look that bad no. 350 pounds well, hang on, uh, that's a hundred pounds more than me, so that ain't a good run. Which is, which is, which is twenty-five stone. Oh yeah. Oh. That's the big lad. There's a man who, who who grew to hate himself, eh? Yeah. God, man. Even but even that's... so, though, even so, we know a couple of twenty-five stoners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. They can't sing like him, though. Uh, exactly. Yeah. 